Welcome back to another No Fs podcast. Even though we said there was only going to be one, we decided that, you know, one's just not enough. And in lieu of my regular Formula One recap of this past weekend, Big Joe and I thought it would be necessary given everything that's happened in the last five days or so to just kind of go back and take a take a look at the race um just kind of debrief a little bit there was a lot that went on in those last laps and in the you know hours and days after that um but we're also done with the season um so i think it's only fitting to do a little bit of a season recap as well as you know look at next year um we have the biggest regulation change next year that we've had probably since going into hybrids um in 2014 or yeah yeah 2014 um and i think that there's you know a lot of things that can happen next year but i do think that the number one thing that that we should talk about this week um really is abu dhabi I mean, the race got off to, I think it, I mean, exactly what we could have expected, um, minus a crash, you know, um, both guys got out super well. I think Lewis gained an advantage, uh, when he left the track, uh, similar to, you know, some of the other races that we've seen this year where, you know, I mean, it happened the week before in Saudi where, you know, Max gained a position off track, had to give it back. But it didn't seem like Lewis had given back all of his quote-unquote advantage. I realized that, you know, he didn't have to, he, he didn't have anywhere else to go. Like, he had to go off track. Um, but he cut that corner mighty, mighty short. Um, and it seemed like as soon as that corner, as soon as, as, soon as he left that corner the there wasn't really much of a race anymore i mean red bull was i think a little bit in the hole already given that they they started on the softs um i think they i don't think they wanted to do that i mean a lot of times you know what happens in qualifying is a team will put the softs on in q2 just to kind of give them a dry run and scrub the tires for q3 and then they'll abandon the lap so that they can use their mediums because all that matters is, you know, that they get into Q3. Um, but I I don't know why they pushed so hard in Q2 uh, on those softs. I don't think it was necessary. My thought there is I think the reason that they went hard on those softs in Q2 was based off of all the information up until about two minutes left in Q2, it looked like it was going to be Lewis Botas, you know, one and two. And so I think that Red Bull had the thought of the only way that Max is going to get by here is if him and Checo are on the softs, they get out and they get out hard and they're able to, you know, on the softs, pass him on the first corner. Yeah. Um, Which is, Hilarious because the, the exact opposite happened 
<laughs> yeah, Max was slow off the start. Like it seemed like it seemed like he got bogged down, uh, which happened in Saudi. Like he had he he's had that issue a couple times, um, but I just don't. It, it's like they completely lost their footing in Q two. Like they easily easily could have made it to Q three on the mediums uh, and been able to start the race on the mediums. But I think, you know, you're on the back foot going into this race a little bit. Yeah, sure. You're leading the championship because you've won, you know, two more races, but do what the other guys aren't doing. Right. They did. They did a two stop, I believe in Spain earlier in the season that paid off when Mercedes did a one stop. They won the race there. Um, they did something similar. Mercedes did something similar similar to them um, in France. I mean, it's just kind of, you know, one of those things that I think needs to be done from them in order to have that chance, you know, just just to try to take that, that little bit of a risk. Because if Max and Checo can both get out in front, Max can win that race. Because... Like we saw, what, lap 14, 15, 16, 17, when Checo just went absolute beast mode and held Hamilton up like I've never seen before. I've never seen somebody hold up Lewis on dirty, old, garbage tires the way Checo did. I mean, I have never seen anything like that. Like, all of the Fernando and Seb battles, all the Seb and Lewis battles, like I have never seen somebody that cleanly hold up Lewis in such an important situation. Like that, to me, besides, obviously besides the last lap of the race, like that was the highlight of the race. Dude, Checo is, I feel very confident in saying this, Checo is the reason that Max Verstappen is the driver world champion. Like, his play in second place or third place this year has just... I mean, like, when I look at races this year, it's been, you know, Max or Lewis, and then Checo pretty much beats Valtteri a lot of the time. Like, if Valtteri... Valtteri just has more wins. That's the only reason he's ahead of Checo. Exactly. And so, like, for me, Checo doing that for those laps kind of symbolizes like the the whole season i mean like i forget which track was at but it's in all the tiktoks of like hey max has better tires let him around you okay go get them we've got this and like max ends up winning that race like that to me is just kind of encapsulates their season so that like be if michael massey had not interfered with this race that would have been the defining moment for me because like the only way Max was going, the only way Max was going to be able to contend, is if Checo, on soft tires that were five laps too old already, yeah. battled with Lewis for multiple laps, and he got three, and like that, that was way more than I think anyone, and and it, I think it does speak to kind of the difference in the cars, is that in the final evolution of these hybrids, which arguably should have never happened. The Red Bull 
and the same way that Max drives it is you just slam it into a corner, brake really hard, and turn really hard, and you're probably going to stay on the track. Like, the way the Lewis, to an extent you can see it, but you can really see it with Botas, is like this Mercedes car is unbelievably quick down straights or when it's flat out, but it doesn't brake as well, and it definitely doesn't corner as well, which is, it ended up being the final move. That That's why Lewis lost that race, was Max was able to just slam the Red Bull. Tires notwithstanding, he really just kind of slammed the Red Bull into a corner, and Lewis was, like, wide. I, I don't I don't even want to say Lewis was wide. Lewis was on tires that were old, and... and um, but, yeah, I, like, I thoroughly enjoyed this season. It was... Just an incredible F1 season to watch, but um, I think I speak for most fans when the ending was anticlimactic, and I don't necessarily want to kill Michael Massey in this podcast, but I don't see a way we can't, if that makes any sense. Like, the rules in F1 are the rules in F1. They're the rule book that everybody signs before they go into it. If you have a safety car late and it's not wet, the standard operating procedure is to have all the lapped cars unlap themselves or not themselves. Or if not. it's wet, it's all it's or it's all or nothing. Yeah. That's the so, issue that we're having here. The problem is is that Massey knows, right? Like he's got to know as the race director. People want to see this end on a race. This is probably the most viewed F1 event ever. Um, I don't have any statistical facts for that, but probably uh, I I can't imagine. It's I mean, everything else. that came out beforehand was like I saw something from from Golf Digest that was like if you watch one Formula One race in your entire life and never watch another one, watch the finale in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, right. So you you have all these people watching, and he's sitting there with his asshole clenched super tight because of Latifi. He's sitting there going. Holy fucking shit, this race is going to end on a safety car. Like, if I follow the rules, this race will end on a safety car. Or, if I don't allow them to lap themselves, they're going to get a lap. But Max has six cars in between him and Lewis, and there's just no way. Like, the the lapped cars will not be able to pass. However, those cars are also just not going to get out of the way. Like, it's not feasible. So he does. He does what the only... The only thing that the situation allows him to do, which is to unlap only the, I think it's four cars actually, unlap the four cars in between Max and Lewis, which allows them to have one racing lap. Because if he waits for all the cars to unlap, the safety car is literally going to pass the pit lane and then... Has to go for another lap. And then it has to go for another lap and that's just the end. So like, I, I I have a little bit of sympathy for Michael Massey in the sense of he's in an he impossible got, situation. Yeah. Like starting at, I think it's lap 52. He just got dealt an unwinnable hand. However, all the shit this season and especially late in the season that he's just allowed to have happened. Like this is karma. Yeah. This is for Brazil. This is karma. Like when you have guys like Nico Rosberg, who's a Mercedes guy and Jensen button, who's a Red Bull guy. And they're sitting McLaren. there and they're like that. Or he's McLaren. Anyway, he was. Old heads he was. Just, old heads who have no skin in the game, right? Yeah. Like when Charles Barkley talks on on TNT, he doesn't give a shit if you're a Suns fan. Yeah, but exactly. But like, 
old heads who now just get paid to talk about it, and they're sitting there looking at Brazil, and they're like, that move should not have been allowed to happen. Yeah. Or, the, like, I mean, Charles and, Leclerc said after the race, he's like, my style of racing will forever be changed because Michael Massey let that slide yeah. as a racing incident. Yeah, like, what's what's the... Uh, so, the, the payoff is I can either possibly gain the position, like Lewis did in Abu Dhabi, or... I can be screwed and just not have the opportunity, like, and get passed. Like, yeah. obviously, I'm going to take the one where I might win. If I lose, I'm in the same spot I was before. No biggie. And, like, so he's let, the, like, the the discipline between Max and Lewis, I think, has not been as swift or as decisive as it needs to be. And I, I honestly put that a little bit more on, on Max, especially late. Like, it's just his style of driving. He's yeah. hyper-aggressive. No reason to think – I'm not saying it's malicious, right, because I would never say that. My whole point is just that, you know, if it's gray and an elephant, we should – or if it's gray and big, we should probably call it an elephant. Like, if there's a hyper-aggressive maneuver between the two, in all likelihood, Max is the one who sent it. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of my issue – in in this is that they didn't they sacrificed the rules of the sport for ratings and it's just it's just such an unsatisfying feeling as fans here when i'm sitting down and being like oh yeah like that that's exactly what happened like and 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 poor max honestly and this whole thing like poor max max is the guy who now has an asterisk next to his world championship because even Danny Ricardo, who is diehard Max, I, I think he might be Max's like literally only friend on the grid. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Like. And he's sitting there in the McLaren behind him, going, "Oh, that's fucked. <laughs> like that is that is fucked." And it and poor Max because like there's no defending it. Like he got gifted a championship. I'm not disputing that he was the better driver. He probably deserved it. But like we texted about, Dan Marino deserved a Super Bowl. Doesn't mean you just get one, you know. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of factors that go into that. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, Max led 469 laps this season. Everyone else, and this includes Lewis Hamilton, everyone else led 465 laps. Max by himself led more than the other 19 drivers, 20 drivers, right? Since we had Robert Kubica that raced for, for Kimi Raikkonen in that one in, in Russia. But like that's 20 other drivers combined for 465 laps led. So he led more than everybody else. And it came down to one lap. And I mean, everybody... We all said, you know, people who watch F1 year-round are like, how cool would it be? And I, and I we, we talked about it a little bit. Like, how cool would it be to have them tied on points going into the last race and it come down to the last lap? Like I told you, I, I remember, like, distinctively texting you, I want this to be an absolute brawl. Like, I want this to come down to the very last lap. I don't think that I meant come down to the last lap like we saw. I mean, I don't know what more there is to say 
than what's already been said this entire week. I do agree. I think that this was for the ratings. I think the same way that Drive to Survive influenced people, especially where we live, right, in the U.S., to watch Formula One, I think Drive to Survive also influenced Formula One as a sport to some degree because it's so big in such a cultural phenomenon now like drive to survive is the it's almost like you know not like dude it's like if the, the it's like real it's of, real housewives that is exactly like what i was gonna say was was uh was nba players as wives yeah like it's like if lebron james is paul george paul George's, Kawhi Leonard's, Russell Westbrook's, and Anthony Davis's wives all hung out together, and you just filmed it and like watched what happened. Because yeah. at the end of the day, F1 drivers, like I'll say this, I'll say this, liking all of them, and I really don't think there's a guy in the grid I don't like besides Masvin. Is that, and even oh. then, I don't not like him as a human being. Like I just understand how he's there, but like, it's just like. They're divas. They're just complete divas when oh, it comes yeah. to a lot of it. Like, oh, my tires aren't grippy enough. Like, can you imagine if NBA players were on the sideline being like, my shoes aren't grippy enough? Or like Tom Brady was like, one of my shoulder pad straps is loose. They're also not going at 200 miles an hour into a wall. So I completely get why they're yeah. like that. Yeah, it's, yeah, same thing. Like, you know, any receiver in the NFL not catching a ball and being like, oh, my gloves weren't sticky enough. Like, yeah. <laughs> you get like, paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to manage your tires or your gloves, right? Like, you can just go get another pair, right? You are paid to be able to handle yourself in those situations. And I think our A1 tire expert, the masseuse, that's what Checo's nickname should be. He should be called the masseuse. <laughs> Because the way that he massages those tires and gets them to work, there is nobody else, and I don't care who it is, put anybody else in that Red Bull for the exact same stint as Checo. Nobody else besides maybe Fernando on a perfect day would be able to do what Checo did. And the only reason that Checo was able to do that is because of the way he treats his tires. If he... He's the only person on the grid that could somehow get a set of soft tires through an entire race. If you said, Checo, I need you to make sure that these soft tires that are only supposed to last 10 laps get through 50 laps of a race, he'll end up mid-pack, but those tires will be good to go at the end of the race, and nobody else can do that. He, uh, I think the only comp that I've seen that I kind of agree with, and let me just say, I started being an F1 fan this season, but that doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, fan this season. Bro, I have deep dived the history <laughs> of this fucking sport. The only guy that I think that I, that I think you could compare him to is like old Jim Clark. Like that, that's who we're talking about here. Like, like Checo is definitely the greatest manager of tires in the flappy paddle era. Like, like once, once the, once you get rid of the actual like hand shifter, Checo is by far the best. I don't think that's really up for comparison, but yeah. um, I just dude, like, and the thing is I'm going to watch 
watch the shit out of Drive to Survive. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to... I'm going to wait for it like I'm waiting for... Like a little kid waits for Christmas. Like... Oh, dude. I'm so ready. And it's also... here. The thing that I think is... And Jeremy Clarkson said it really well. And he's not a Lewis guy at all. Like, like just doesn't like Lewis at all. Yeah. Um, but even he came out and said, like, like, Lewis handled that situation, I think, better than any athlete has handled something getting stolen from them. Like, because if we're talking about it realistically, that title was just straight up stolen from him. Yes. Did he deserve it? Uh, like, but he did put together a final, whatever, six, five, six races that were were quality enough to, to in fact, win the championship. Like, he just did. I so, it, it was like, it, you know, I don't really want to use that terminology because I think it is tough for Max. But, like, at the end of the day, if... If that race is run under the regulations of F1, he wins, no matter how the deck is is cut. So I'll say, like, it was stolen from him. But, like, from him and his father, just absolute class. And I kind of juxtaposed that to me, like, when in Jeddah, when, you know, on the podium, Max just, like, walks off and doesn't celebrate. And, like, like, he's a kid, right? He's just a kid. He doesn't understand. He just doesn't understand. Lewis was the exact same way when he was fighting for his first title, right? Like, he was the exact same way. So, it's... I don't fault him for it. Granted, he has been in Formula 1 for significantly longer. Lewis won his... Almost won his rookie season, right? But, I mean, it's... The same can't... Basically, what happened with Hamilton and his dad, the same cannot be said of Max. If... Max had lost that race and lost the world championship. I t- like I told you, I don't think he would have been on that podium. I don't either. I don't either. And and that's not look. This is not a Max bash. It's just like no, Max not at I, all. I, I love I love the kid. I hope in a decade we we don't say the same things. Like I yes. I think in a decade we won't be saying the same things. Um, just the same as a decade ago, we wouldn't have been saying this about Lewis Hamilton that he handled losing the championship with class. Like. He he really didn't handle it well when he when he battled Rosberg like that that was a clusterfuck. In it of it ruined their it ruined their friendship right like they were best friends from the time they were ten and two kids that could not have come out of different backgrounds. Nico Rosberg's dad raced in Formula One. Lewis Hamilton's dad worked four, five, six jobs in order to get him into karting. Two could not have been different and ended up best friends. There's so much video of them being like, how cool would it be if we got to race in Formula One together? And they both get there, and it destroys, destroys their friendship. And I think that speaks to the immaturity of both of them. I think that Lewis has gained so much more maturity, and I didn't start watching Formula One until 2017, so right after Rosberg retired. But... There's just so much more maturity in Lewis after everything that happened with Rosberg. And I think I think that Matt, now that Max has gotten that world title, I hope that we will start to see some more maturity out of him. 
There, there's a story about uh, there's a story about uh, Troy Aikman, right? Like, obviously, NFL Hall of Famer and one of the five greatest quarterbacks of all time. Like, just absolute overall mm. stud. And he uh, he talks about winning the Lombardi, and he wins the Super Bowl MVP, and he gets back to his room, and he just looks at it, and he's like, "That's it." Like I, like that. That's it. Like th- this feeling doesn't last. Like I'm already over it. Like I'm over the high. I'm down off of it. And I think after the Rossberg stuff, Lewis will never talk about it. It's not in his personality. But I think he had one of those moments where, you know, Rossberg wins and retires, and Lewis is suddenly sitting there and he's like, "Damn, like I did that. Like that's not good." And I think Max Max's whole career can pretty much be encapsulated by that. Like, he doesn't have a lot of friends. Um, I know Drive to Survive paints him in a negative light, which I don't think is fair to him. I think it's just because he's juxtaposed with guys like, you know, Danny Rick, who's outlandishly funny, and Lando. And, and you know, Lando, Albon, Gasly, those guys are, like, actually three or four years behind Max because Max is such a prodigy. And so, like... Yeah. You know, he just doesn't have a lot of friends. Um, and I think you kind of see it in how he celebrates. And um, and that's something I don't want for him because, like, I see guys like Seb and Kimmy. Like, Seb and Kimmy are still great friends. Uh, Nando is yeah. still Nando, – Nando and Seb have just the ultimate respect for each other. Yeah. And I've, like, seen videos of them playing – in Spain it's called paddle, but it's it's pickleball. Like, they just play pickleball together. Yeah. And Seb and, and, and Kimmy play – they both live in Switzerland. And they play squash all the time. They're like, they're really, they're just really good friends. Yeah, and like, like Danny, like Rick, um, Rick and Signs and Max should all kind of be friends, right? Like yeah. that's that Red Bull driver group. Yep. Um, and and they're just not like I know Rick and Signs hang out sometimes, but I also know Signs' dad. It like is a little bit weird because, just because like he's he's kind of. You know, he was so great that it makes, like, hanging out with that yeah, family he's a little a, bit weird. he's a legend, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, but, like, like uh, you know, Esteban Ocon hangs out with Mick Schumacher all the time. Like, yeah. And I, and I feel bad because, like, the two guys on the grid who don't have friends are Mazepin, for obvious reasons, because they think that he endangers all of their lives, Fair. and Max, because, I, like... Max has the same personality as, you know, Kobe, as Michael. But the offset to that is that you don't have a lot of friends and that you, that doesn't carry over. And I think that in basketball, it's a little bit different because you're respected by other people a lot easier than, like, as an F1 driver. So, like, my, my number one fear is, like, I just hope Max isn't lonely. I know that's, like, a dumb fan thing to think about, but, like, Dude, I really think he might just be, like, sitting in his Monaco apartment or on his yacht, like, being like, I'm driver world champion. And he looks up, and it's like, he has no friends to, like, share that with, which kind of sucks. Yeah. If you haven't seen, if you haven't seen Rush, an amazing Formula One movie, it's about Nicky Lauda and James Hunt in the 70s when Formula One was really starting to modernize and become one of the bigger european sports in the world and it 
was the the story there is just it's an incredible story and i think they painted nikki lauda a little bit negatively but it was one of those things when he won his first world championship he never wanted any friends on track he never wanted that and that's very similar to max Ma they were both incredible drivers amazing amazing what they could do with the car but they they would you know Nikki Lauda and James Hunt were buddies they would talk you know on track at races and stuff but they wouldn't hang out together that's how Max is with pretty much everybody else and part of that comes from him moving into Formula One so quickly he didn't spend a lot of time with George and Charles and Alex and everybody else, even Carlos, really, because he was already in F1 when these guys were still in Formula 4 or even moving up into F3, right? Because he moved straight from F3 into F1. And he it's almost like he doesn't really want to have any friends, um, yep. which is, I mean... If you're dedicated to your craft and that's something that you're okay with, then, you know, that's what it is. But yeah, it's, it can be, it, it can be incredibly lonely, right? And that can be destructive and that's what you don't want to happen. Like you see him with other people sometimes, but take Lewis as an example, dude has no friends in Formula One none whatsoever it would be valtteri and maybe and bono, maybe seb i think bono's his only friend <laughs> and toto right but outside outside of formula one he hangs with you know soccer stars and actors and actresses and singers and because he is to formula one at least in like pop culture as Lance Armstrong was to cycling in pop culture in the early 2000s. Like, if you don't know Formula One at all, the one name that you know is Lewis Hamilton. Like in cycling, right? If you, you, you may not know anything about cycling except there's one race every year called the Tour de France, right? And the one person you know is Lance Armstrong. And he was a pop culture icon and lewis is i think a pop culture icon um but he's yeah. so he surrounds himself with those people but i don't max that doesn't really happen with max um so it's just one of those things i don't think it's i i wouldn't worry about it i know he doesn't worry about it i think also one of the things for max is like one <laughs> English is not his native language, which, like, yeah. is still kind of an issue with large corporate media, especially since Sky Sports, a.k.a. the BBC, is what does F1, mm -hmm. and ESPN does the streaming for it. So, um, you know, I think that's a little bit of an issue. He's not very charismatic, and I also think that, like, part of that comes from him just probably growing up and having, like, a very isolated childhood, just because, like, if you're 15 and you're in F1... And your teammate is Carlos Sainz, who's like, what, 19 probably at that point? And he's looking yeah. down at you going like, who is this young kid thinking he can beat the shit out of me? Like, 
you just make a lot of enemies that way, and it's through no fault of his own. Like, people hate people who are good at stuff. Like, that's how people hate Tom Brady. There's just no reason to hate Tom Brady, except that he's very good. I mean, and I hate Tom Brady because I'm a Dolphins fan, but I, I, that, <laughs> I have no reason to actually hate him except for the fact that he's just trounced my team for my entire life, right? Like, Yeah, and I, I also think part of the issue is also and as i've gotten into more f1 and more soccer i'll tell you this europe is really racist about a lot of stuff very and i don't think that lewis being the only black form the first and only black f1 driver does him any favors in a lot of those regards and you know he's also the kid with the chip on his shoulder like him and him and michael him and michael not mick but michael have a lot of similarities in the fact that like you know they're poor kids and like their dads had to bust their ass to like find them used parts for their go-karts and they were prodigies yeah whereas like of course lewis is going to like that's the thing when people are like well i can't like i read one post where the guy was like i just don't understand why lewis can't mentor max and i'm like because max kind of symbolizes the establishment of f1 yeah or like his dad was a racer so you know obviously he became a go-karter and was like some prodigy which i understand right like that's no fault of max but like somewhere deep in lewis's psyche that has to be on his mind of like max is the establishment driver and like i'm here to take over absolutely it's just got to be there absolutely i mean lewis is Lewis is is special, right? Like, we talked about it a little bit in the podcast last night. You can't teach speed, right? I can put you through every single formula, through all of the go-karts, everything. You could have the best coaches, the best carts, all of that. And you can come to the grid and still be worse than Nikita Mazepin. Yep. Like, some people just have it and max verstappen and lewis hamilton have it most of the drivers on the grid next year have it i think every single driver on the grid next year even nikita mazepin if he matures he did a lot a lot of strong races in formula two and formula three I think every single driver on the grid has the capability to win a world championship. Yeah, the the thing about Mazepin is like he still hit all the prerequisite steps, yeah. right? Like the the only issue with him is that like people think his dad bought his spot in F one, which he which, did. Like, he definitely did. There's just no question about that. There's but a reason. There is... There's a reason that the Haas car is Russian colors. Oh, yeah, but the, the the only thing I have there is that um, Lance Stroll is way closer to that than people want to talk about. Absolutely. So, like, they just, like... Oh, he also, he, like Max, also jumped from F3 into F1. Yeah, no, Stroll's a good driver. He's good. He's fine. Aggressively mediocre for F1, however yes. you want to phrase that. Um, Put it this way, that, if his dad didn't own Aston Martin he wouldn't be in Formula 1 right now. I think he's got way more Giovinazzi than he does Sebastian Vettel. Like, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, just, I think that's way more the fun talk here is like, 
the grid next year. Um, I, I saw the video of George Russell in Lewis's car and he was like Bono's on the radio and he's like, okay, we're going to go to ST 35 or this, whatever you want to do. And George Russell just comes on the radio and he's like, I have no idea what any of that fucking means. Please just Bahrain last year. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm going to need a little, he's like, I'm going to need a little bit more information here. <laughs> like, and I, dude, he's going to be so like, uh, there, I'll say this about Botas. I really like Botas. There is an argument to be made that if that dude starts in sixth place, he's finishing in fourth. Like he just doesn't have the ability to. He he. I think of every driver on the grid is a great driver. I think the argument can be made that out of everyone on the grid, in terms of passing and aggression in the corners, that he might not have it in comparison to some of the other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so the alpha move is going to be incredibly awesome. Like, it's going to be awesome to watch. I, it, it's either going to go awesome or super poorly. I'm not sure there's a lot of in between there. Now, that being said, they do get all the funding from China, which, which makes their, their team better. I think just off the drop, like they just now have the entire communist party funding their, their team, yeah. which is really interesting. Um, but I think, I honestly think Mercedes is in a better spot next year than they were this year. hundred percent. I don't, I don't think they're going to have a shitty, uh, you know, I don't, what do they call it? Pre, pre testing or whatever it is. Preseason testing. Yeah. Yeah. They're testing this year. I like, I'm just reading about it was dog shit. Like it was not good at all. No, they, they, the thing about testing is, and for those who have never seen testing or read much about testing or new to F1, the amount of sandbagging that goes on in testing is kind of ridiculous. Red Bull usually runs a special livery every year so that people can't see their arrow, the way that they've shaped their body. Um... They don't run their top engine modes one because they don't want to blow engines but two because they don't want anybody else to see how fast they are and freak out and start over developing their car because that just isn't good for everybody else so i think it's tough to gauge a season off of preseason testing like ferrari looked insane in preseason testing and they came out third. I think they did very, very well. But I think people thought that, like, holy crap, Ferrari's back. They could be winning, you know, multiple races this year. And that just wasn't the case because both Mercedes and Red Bull were sandbagging. Granted, I will, to your point, I will say that Mercedes had probably the worst preseason testing this year that they've ever had in terms of reliability, in terms of laps run, in terms of other things. But they have a separate division called their high-performance powertrains, which are built in a completely different factory. No other team has that. Everybody else builds the entire car in-house. Because Mercedes supplies four other teams, including themselves, right? They have an entire facility just for their powertrains. So 
you know that the engine going into that car every single year is top of its class. Nobody makes better power units than Mercedes does, except when Ferrari's cheating. But, yeah. Dude, so that's... I think the biggest question mark going into next season is how much money did Red Bull blow coming down the stretch here? Because Ferrari didn't spend it. I, I, I think the, the thing is, like, Merck is going to Merck. They'll, they'll be one or two. I don't see them dropping off. No. Like, the question is, the, I, I'm going to go ahead and sort the one in my, like, way too early power rankings. The question for me is, Two, I think it's probably Ferrari at the start of this season because Red Bull had to blow a lot of money to keep Max competitive, um, especially when Merck debuted their super fucking explosive engine. That monster. Absolute <laughs> monster. And it, it apparently, I think the, the news two days ago was that it passed every test. So I don't know what... I don't know if they, like, watered the engine with Gatorade, but, like, <laughs> that thing was unbelievable. Dude, it was so, ridiculous. Yeah. So, I think Ferrari just, I think, and also I like, like, look, Checo and Max are obviously unbelievable, but if Charles can be a little bit more consistent, I think that duo is just as good as anybody out there. Like, Sainz really proved himself to be late in the season. Yeah. Um, I just... Yeah, I just don't see how and, – and, you know, there's there's the champion – the championship hangover is real. Um, I think I think Ferrari just edges them out early. Now, later when Max, you know, really takes over and and, the, and Ch- him and Chuggo really understand the new cars and how they drive well, that I'm not saying. I'm just saying, like, at the very start of the season, I think Ferrari could edge it out. Um, yeah, I think – I think Mercedes will be a little bit on the back foot going into next season as well because they also put a ton of effort into uh, into the car this year. <laughs> Christian Horner had a hilarious quote. I think it was in Abu Dhabi when he got asked if he felt like they put too much into the car this year. And he said, when Ferrari comes out next season and wins the first race, then we'll know that we screwed up. Um, yeah, I don't think he feels that way now that he now that Max has a world title under his belt. But I do think Ferrari is gonna be on the front foot next year. I also think Haas could easily be fourth or fifth next year because dude, they I they like have Haas. to be, they have to be. I, yeah, I dude, I like, I just like. The, the other thing for next year is that the drive the, the the changes to the cars are going to benefit drivers who are comfortable racing very very close to people yep and so like in terms of drivers who I think it benefits obviously I think Max and Lewis are in their, their own class but I'll, I'll give it a slight edge to Max on that one just because he's like historically been behind Lewis so like I think it kind of helps on that. Um, I think Danny Rick is going to be super helped out by that. I think Carlos Sainz is a guy who's going to be super helped out by that. But I also think guys like uh, um, I, I think Mick Schumacher is should have a, a really good year next year. Like it just makes a lot of sense. He's yeah. 
he, the fact that he was able to get that Haas car into Q2 speaks volumes, I think, about his skill. Um, yeah. I, I just, I don't, I, I struggle to see how that's not important going forward. Um, and then I also think that there are a couple teams that it hurts. I think it's going to hurt Botas. Um, and I also think, like, Alpha just doesn't strike me as a team that I have a lot of confidence in right now. I feel um, like they're in a little bit of a rebuild mode. They have two yeah, brand like, new drivers. They haven't been very good the last couple years. They're very much like AlphaTari, right? Like, Ferrari will never let them be better than, than, Ferrari. than Ferrari, right? They're kind of... I feel like they're, they're not on a five-year plan because five years in Formula 1 is an absolute eternity, but I think they're on a two- to three-year plan. I don't think yeah. you're going to see any huge moves from them next year. I think they will be 7th, 8th, ninth in the championship. I think 7th would be a best-case scenario. But I do think that come 2023, we're going to see a pretty powerful alpha team. Um, I, maybe not maybe think... not a top 3 team, not a team that's challenging for podiums, but I do think we'll see a, a significantly better alpha team. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I also think that uh, um, Aston is going to take a step back again next year. Um, there, a couple. I don't think it's going to have anything to do with Vettel. Um, I, I I saw a lot of like oh Vettel talk this year, and like that dude was hyper competitive in twenty twenty in that in that Ferrari car. Like he's obviously not the problem at Aston. Um, yeah. or Force India or, you know, whatever they're going by now. Like, in many Mercedes, like, he's just obviously not the problem. I mean, um, he got a podium this year. Yeah, he would have, like, and he, he would have had two, well. he would have had two had he not gotten disqualified. Right? Like, he got that, po he got that podium in Baku, and yeah, sure, Max had to crash out and Lewis had to screw up on his brakes, but that's racing. Like, that yeah. is how racing works. Like, Esteban Ocon won a race this year. Pierre Gasly won at Monza in an AlphaTauri car last year that, you know, in an AlphaTauri car that's like, what? Like, yeah, like, so for me, I just don't, I don't, like, Seb is obviously not the problem at Aston. I think one of the problems is, uh, is Lance Stroll. Uh, I'm going on the record here. Like, I, he's probably my least favorite driver. I'll hop in that boat with you. Um... But one of the main issues I think that they're going to have is, you know, they're new to this. Like, the, like, I understand that they are, you know, a historic, you know, like Force India to Racing Point to Aston now. But, like, they are, I, I want to say, like, like, they're new in the sense of the regulations and stuff. Like, this is just something that it, they haven't been super accustomed to. So, yeah dealing with a change like that like this isn't an established brand who's gone through multiple like why i don't think mercedes is going to have that problem they you know have been in racing for a while now like they've managed multiple rule changes and they should be good same thing with red bull same thing with ferrari it's these other cars who aren't just shitty but they're new like uh you know it's not just like like williams has a shitty car 
but I actually don't think that they're going to have a super big issue next year because they've been in racing for forever. Like, yes, <laughs> it's just like they'll figure something out. Of course they will, and and that's just how they roll. Um, the 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 bigger one to me is someone like you know an Aston, where this is their first big massive rule change. Um, I, that's honestly my team right now. If you ask me, like to to peg them, like where I think they finish, I think they'll probably finish last. Um, sorry, Aston, but that's just what I think of you at the, this point in time. Yeah, I mean, I've gotta agree with you on the Aston front. I mean, Otmar Safnauer, their team principal, has been at the helm for a pretty long time. He knows what he's doing. But they're kind of, I don't know, I think they I think they got put on the back foot this year because they relied too much on Mercedes last year. And I think while it did them well last year when they weren't allowed to basically copy Mercedes' homework this year, I mean, they struggled. Yeah. You saw them struggle throughout the whole season. For the first couple races, they it's like they got their test back, got an F, and had no idea why they got the F. Because they just didn't they just didn't have it. It just did not go their way. I think they were affected the most by far in terms of where they were season to season. But I do think that Besides Ferrari, I think that Williams has the potential to make the biggest gains. Williams and Haas, but I, I would lean... I love Haas and I want them to do well, but I would lean Williams. It's because they've got fresh American capital. They're healthy, like you said, like... They are a stalwart in Formula 1. They've been in the sport since the 70s. They're not going anywhere now. Rest in peace, Frank Williams. But I do think that they will make big gains next year. I really like Alex Albon as a driver. I don't think... I don't think he got enough credit while he was at Red Bull because of the way that Red Bull turns their drivers over. It happened with Pierre, and Pierre's won a race now. Like, I don't think that Alex Albon's a bad driver. He did fantastic for Red Bull in DTM in their sports car, in the sports car series this year. He was he was a great asset for them there, and I think he will do very well at Williams. And I think he owes George Russell a very, very big pitcher of beer and maybe some more love for putting in the good word for him at Williams. But I think that brings up probably the last thing that, that we should talk about is something that I think that I really think needs to change in formula one. And I don't see exactly how it's going to change. And that is, who gets to compete in Formula One? Because of how expensive the sport is, you have guys like Oster, Oscar Piastri, 
and some of the Ferrari juniors, and there, there's a ton of junior guys that have the absolute right to be in Formula One. They would be yep. better than a lot of the drivers in Formula One. But because of the money required to run a Formula One team, like, you can't run a Formula One team without sponsors. There's a reason that when drivers do press conferences, when drivers get out of their cars, every single thing they are wearing along with the car is plastered with sponsors' names. They are billboards. Every single team, besides Haas and I think Williams, have a title sponsor. That means that either before the name of the manufacturer or after the name of the manufacturer, there is a sponsor. Mercedes is called the Mercedes Patronus Formula One team. Patronus is their title sponsor. Honda is Red Bull's title sponsor, which is kind of weird, but still. Um, McLaren's title sponsor is A Better Tomorrow, which is a tobacco company. That's an issue, but same thing with Ferrari. Their mission win now Ferrari, which is Philip Morris. Like, that's how you get your money. Like, Shell has been with Ferrari. Shell and UPS have been with Ferrari forever. Shell's been with Ferrari for 70 years. They pay Ferrari. It was said that they were paying Ferrari over $100 million a year in the early 2000s when Schumacher was there. Just to be on the I car. I mean, I this, is a, this is a company that supplied them fuel lubricants oils and everything so they're giving the team product and they're paying the team like that's you need that in formula one and i think the reason that you have drivers in formula one like nikita mazepin not it, nicholas latifi although williams say they don't need the money anymore guan yu Zhou, that like we're gonna see with alpha next year even Robert Kubica, who was the reserve driver for Alfa Romeo. These people are signed onto these teams because they can bring sponsorship money. And the way that you bring sponsorship money is you have a big backer. Checo's big backer is Carlos Slim. Carlos Slim took him under his wing and was like, hey, I'm going to put you in Formula One. And if you've got the money to do it, that's great, but it takes away a lot of opportunities for a lot of younger guys. Like, you're not going to see another Lewis Hamilton in the sport if something doesn't change. You don't just don't have these kids anymore that come from nothing that are able to make it. It's not like it is in the NFL where you have guys that grow up in, you know, just disgusting poverty that make it big and are able to you know, be something for their families. Um, you just don't have that in Formula One. And I think that's something that needs to change. Like it needs to be more acceptable. It's always been this sport that has played to the wealthy. You have races like Monaco and Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia where they're paying Formula One hundreds of millions of dollars to have these races here. But it, it's just difficult 
to try to push the sport to younger generations, especially when, you know, you have people in our generation who don't want to see internal combustion engines anymore. Like you have to make this sport popular with younger people and being able to put more younger people in the sport that are more similar to you and me and not the people that, you know, we make fun of for being ridiculously wealthy. Like you need more of those people in the sport. Yeah. I I think the other thing there is just that like the barriers of entry for, for some of these young cats is, is tough. But I also think part of that is some of these old guys have hung on for way longer than normal. Um, Like Fernando is super old. Seb is going to retire after next year. Kimmy was, you know, retired after this one. Yeah. Um, Lewis is getting old too. Lewis, Lewis, Seb, Fernando, like these, this is the, that's the old guard. Yeah. Like I think, honestly, I think if Lewis won this year, there was like a, a a strong argument that he would have really considered retirement. I'm not sure he would have, but I, there's a very strong argument there. Um, I think there are a couple other guys that we won't see. I think I think Max could take a, a Nico trajectory and um, you know just be. I don't want to say done because I, I don't think he would, but but I think if he accomplishes all he wants to accomplish, he becomes driver world champion and you know he's in kind of that weird zone of like the next model isn't really a car for him and it doesn't favor his driving style or something like that. Like you could easily see him walking away pretty early. Like there's no reason for him to stick around. Um, I think the competitor in him isn't going to do that. I I mean, when Nico walked away after winning the title, when he said he wasn't coming back for 2017, like that blew everybody away. Like that blew the entire sport away. That's, that is literally like if Patrick Mahomes, when Patrick Mahomes won his Super Bowl, if he was like, that's it, I'm done, I'm retiring. Like, Nico and Lewis are the same age. Like, Nico could easily, easily still be racing. No issues at all. Um, it, I wonder if he ever comes back. He, I really He do. never will. Like, what is, what is just... Like, what just melts your mind about this sport, especially when you don't know it, is how much traveling these guys do. Like, when somebody's like, oh, yeah, like, I want to go travel the world. Sure, that's cool. These guys travel 35, 40 weeks a year. They are moving constantly. Like, they don't stop. In a triple header, you don't get to go home. Like, and it's even worse for their teams because a lot of these guys get to fly private. The teams don't, they charter a jet just like a football team does. And they fly, they, it's, it's a private jet, but it's, it's still commercial. Like, it's not like these guys are all sitting in business class. I mean, sure. I'm sure some of them do, but your top drivers all get to fly, all get to fly private or you know business or first class whatever it is but they still travel non-stop you're dealing with time changes like crazy like going from like in regular seasons there's a triple header that goes russia uh japan and then singapore it's like singapore one weekend russia the next weekend and japan the weekend after that like 
that's just brutal on the body. Like that kind of time change and jet lag is it. I just can't even imagine. Yeah. All right. Finish it up here, boss. I'm calling it Merck sweeps next year. Drivers and constructors. Oh my gosh. Um, Carlos signs wins the the championship. That is that is ballsy. That is ballsy and bold and coming from a guy whose favorite driver is Charles. Um, I feel like I've done my man Charles a little bit of a disservice, <laughs> but uh, I don't hate it, dude. I, the the thing is, is that. Signs, you know, there. I think they're as close to a one A and B, one B as you have on those yeah. upper teams. Um, For sure. But signs to me really stepped up late. Um, you know, when McLaren faltered, he's the guy that drove the nail in the coffin and grabbed the podium yep. and the fourth and the fifth places. Charles did well, and Charles got unlucky, especially with some of like the red flags and the pit stops. So I, this is not anything against him, but at the end of the day, results are results. Char- Signs was the guy in fourth, fifth, and third. Um, Charles was the guy in like you know eighth, ninth, and sixth, kind of in, in those zones. So um, it'll definitely be interesting, but uh, I definitely know that Ferrari. Ferrari has to be a team that looks at themselves and just says, if we get the car, we are golden. Same thing with Merck, same thing with the Red Bull, but they mm-hmm. know that they have the car historically. Like, Ferrari just has to sit there and be like, if we can get the car, where I feel like McLaren is also a little bit in that boat because, you know, that's going to be – like, I think the field next year is pretty much going to be Merck, Red Bull, Ferrari, McLaren clearly ahead in like that weird four spot, and then the rest of the field. Um, yeah. And the, the, there is a question mark around Lando, and I know Zach Brown will never admit this, but like <clears throat> the inability for him to listen to his race crew in Sochi does not bode well. I like Lando. I think Lando is a great driver. I hope this kid does well, and he deserves to win. But at the end of the day, like, I feel like we both have to look at each other and say, well, that was not very intelligent. Like, it just wasn't very good. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the, the, he's got some questions about him that he needs to answer, which um, I think he will. I think he will answer them. Um, I think he'll come back next year, and I think he'll finally grab that elusive win. But, you know, it is something that I know bugs him. Like, I, when he talks with, uh, you know, George Russell and a couple of those guys, and you see him talk, and and you can just tell that, you know, because George Russell knows he's going to win a race next year. He's going to be in a Burke. Like, the, the, the chances of him winning are incredibly high. Lando has been in the McLaren. Like, he knows... Yeah. He knows he's had the good car. Like, where's the win, buddy? Rick got a win. Yep. Which I know it's Danny Rick, but Danny Rick, Danny Rick, and Esteban Ocon are the only non-Merc Red Bull drivers to get a win last year. Where's your win, Lando? You had one. You had one in. He Russia. had it in Where the. He it? had it in the bag. Yeah, for real. Uh, it's just uh, tough, but yeah. 
We'll I'm see pumped. Where the new season takes us. I am pumped for next year, for next season. Obviously, this is going to be our last Formula One podcast for a while. It's only the, what, third one we've done. But we will be back regularly next year, starting with preseason testing in February. We've got a really, really cool setup for preseason testing next year. No media is going to be allowed into the first test in Barcelona. It will be a closed doors test. I believe fans will be allowed to go. But then the big test will be in Bahrain in March. And that's where all the lights will come out. All the stops will be pulled. We'll get to see these cars for the first time. And we will get to hopefully witness the start of an incredible new era in Formula One. But that will do it for us this week. Be sure to check out Big Joe's Beating the Bookies podcast, which should be coming Friday afternoon. And we will catch you on the flip.